It's time for Done Being Single with your hosts, Trevor and Robbie Scharf. If you're dating the same type over and over again, making the same mistakes and not finding love, then you're not done being single. What you need is some tough love dating intervention, Trevor and Robbie style. Whether you're new to dating or have been dating forever, we've got you covered. Now, here are your hosts, Trevor and Robbie Sharp. I love you, baby. I do love you, baby. Yeah, I, I know. Yeah. We love each other now, but see, then what after happens? the show, what, I... What happens you now? know, something very bad happens. What, hap- what is <laughs> it? course of doing what, this what podcast. Is it, what is it that happens after the show that doesn't happen before or during? Well, what you guys don't see, because we never do video, is that we are giving each other evil eye and motioning and gesticulating and doing this and doing that and doing like this and... Stop talking and stop talking. We don't do any of that. Yeah, like this is Robbie, rolling eyes, shaking head. Not once do I ever do that. Certainly. Yeah, not every once, every once, every five seconds. Okay, well, you know, sometimes it's deserved. But this is podcast, Phil. You're right. This is married podcast life. Is that next to Fruitcake, Phil? Yes. Okay. It's a town. It's a state (laughs) of mind. It is. This is what working with your spouse is like, right? Wow, is that what we're doing? We're on the same page. We are, but then the, then we go off the rails sometimes. Yeah, when we you do when know. you do things that you know when I talk over you and then when when you're you're, you're a little too happy with that finger. What finger? Your, your finger. That finger. I'll give you the finger. Okay, can we get back to the topic? Um, we we didn't start with the topic yet. Oh, right. So let's not get back to something okay. we haven't started yet. Okay. How's everything? You know, it's it's pretty good. Yeah, it's it's yeah. Good, we're getting it's through. It's good. It. I think I'm over the hump. Which hump is that? Uh, well, do we want to tie it back to what the show's about? No, the midlife hump. Okay, well, it's you know, it's all. This is a different hump. This is a two hump camel. Do camels have one or two humps? Some have two. Okay, I want to just tell you about midlife and midlife crisis crises. Crisis, okay. okay. Have you? Did you have one? A midlife crisis. Yeah. What time is it? it See, this is what I'm saying. It could happen. It's a delayed. There's a two. <laughs> this is a two crisis okay. hump here. Uh-huh. Okay. So the first hump, you know, there's something called. Okay, so we've all heard about the midlife crisis, which was coined back in 1965 by do 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 a psychoanalyst named Elliot Jacques back in 1965. Could they ever prove it? Really? No. But come on, I think everybody in their early 40s goes into this sort of slump. And, right, there's this vague feeling of life is shitty, even when things are great, even when you're firing on all cylinders. Okay? I did. I went through that. And I know, I mean, my midlife crisis, I did something crazy. I didn't buy Did you buy a Corvette? No. No, and I didn't start dating younger chicks. <laughs> so there's still hope. <laughs> no, right, if you're lucky. Okay. No, I realized at 43, which was the start of my nightmare, 40s, okay? I went, oh, shit. I forgot to get married and have a baby. I've heard that before. That was it. 42, 43. Mm-hmm. 
those were those were you know important years but they were difficult because it I felt like uh, I'm in a slump things aren't going the way I wanted to it all of a sudden it was like this uh, epiphany and it, it was sudden it was really sudden too like the sudden discomfort that I hadn't achieved what I needed to and that's when I decided okay well it may be a while till I get married, so I'm going to go have a baby on my own. That was my midlife crisis. And how did that work out? It, well, I'm glad I did it. It didn't work out, but I have no regrets. But okay. so with that said, you go through your 40s, right? And you know when the bottom is, like the bottom, bottom out, when you just feel the worst? 47. Oh, wow. I don't remember 47. I do. Okay. It was the worst. All right. It was like, I don't know, Despairville, which is next, next to, to Fruitcakeville, which is next to Podcastville. Okay. It's all on the map of life. Do you remember 47? I really, I'd have to think about it. I don't have any milestones that I can remember occurring at okay. that age, but I, I, don't have, I don't have a reference. You know, midlife crisis, you know, I think it started at eight years old for me. I don't know. I don't, it, it, it's... It's not like yeah, I, I I okay well I because know. you're you know Robbie and you're super cool and you know you're perfect and nah, you, you never have a, you Just, never have a bad day in your life oh well okay yeah I've been okay but you don't remember that time you don't really God it's so vivid to me and so painful is that supposed to translate to others is everybody goes through it when they go through it okay so back to the hump. So, right, just when you think that, okay, you, and then, by the way, things start getting better. So 47, you kind of, so, so life's kind of from 20s, you're, you know, you're rip-roaring 20s, right, uh, early 20s, and you hit your 50s, and during the 40s, things kind of bottom out, and then, and then something really beautiful happens, because this is called the happiness curve, the happiness curve. So you go... You're up, 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 and then you're down, and then you go back up in your 50s, 60s, and beyond. That is the good news, okay? The happiness curve is what's called, it's this declining from youthful optimism into what's a long, slow slump in middle age before starting to rise again in our 50s. So here comes the second hump. Okay. Aging parents. Oh. Okay? Yeah. Just when we thought that... Right. I mean, we don't have kids, but let's assume if we did, we had them raised and they've left and we're empty esters and, you know, we are just loving life. Right. Mm. No. Yeah. Not so fast. Okay. So we don't have to be humps in our non kids lives. Yes. But the, it just doesn't stop. Uh -uh. So you asked me so, earlier if I was, how am I, how am I doing? Okay, I'm over the first hump. I'm kind of getting over the second hump. Well, these of, humps of are midlife, kind of the close midlife to each other. Right, and there is a word for that: sandwich generation. Hmm. So maybe if we had kids, we would be doing both. Right, working double duty here. Mm -hmm. And many of our friends, and, and, and most are, of our friends are are doing that. Yeah, and we respect them greatly for that. Yeah, not easy. No, it's not easy. We were in our 40s at a much different time than now. And our guest wrote an amazing book and lots of and an incredible article that I found on the new midlife crisis, particularly as it hits women, because we're living in such a different time with different expectations and 
she's going to explain it in great depth about why this is a kind of like a little tougher for those that came behind us after us that are experiencing what we did in our 40s which again i will say was really hard and i you know it's probably all relative i think that we heard about parents going through midlife crises when we were younger and that's what the cliche of the, the guy buying a corvette when he's 55 and wanting to date younger women and all this is a typical midlife crisis that we used that we grew up with hearing about right and it, it's probably relative to something today with people either getting divorced at 50 and dating 25 year olds i don't know something like that yes so there's probably a similar quality to these midlife crises that we haven't really looked at but yeah i just think that um that yeah a lot of what ada ada calhoun is who is our guest talks about in her book and really makes a great case for it is that it is a rite of passage midlife crisis it's not your imagination i do think that everybody kind of feels some level of discontent you know you've had your kids you've gotten to a certain level in your career you're financially wherever you are or maybe you're not and I also think that we could have delayed midlife crises too and that although I will say hitting 50 really felt very liberating for me and it's been good my 50s have been much better than my 40s would you well see you don't remember well, I, I, you don't remember your 40s. I do, but I just don't dwell on thinking about it too much because I'm too interested in today and tomorrow. But aren't you significantly happier? Do you have a better, more sense of a well-being now in this decade? I do. Than you I did? Do, and I, and I, I attributed much of it to you. Correct. Right? <laughs> yes. And much of it to us. And being happy where I am, not being content, but being happy with who I am and who we are and in our life. And I think that's very important is that you have to be grateful. Yes. And you have to be willing to show gratitude. Yes. And not be bitter. Yes. And not hold grudges and let things go. And right. don't worry about things we have no control over. All of right. these things contribute to I think a happy well, person. You can apply that to any age, to anybody at any age going through whatever they're going through, which has so all, everything you just said. You. Everything you just said, I practice because you have to. But, okay. you know, what I'm saying is that this set of problems is not unlike kind of the what the problems we had 10 years ago in our, well, in your, your case, in my, in our 40s. I'm not too far from that time. I, I hope that Ada will be able to shed some light on what it is that causes us to be inundated with all of these things that become a midlife crisis. I, I think yes. that if you are able to hit these things head on and deal with each of them individually and chip away at it, you will be stronger than this that becomes a crisis. If you do not, it will overtake you yes. and you are in crisis mode and this is where i think that we're going to find value yeah. with well Ada. i would love to learn more about how to deal with crisis generational midlife the midlife comes with its own i mean ada's representing gen x we are representing the boomer generation okay. and they have much different sets of 
issues, okay, but boomer. not really. Okay, boomer. Okay, boomer. Okay, let's boomer. take our break, and we're going to bring it. Have a terrible okay. day. Okay, no. boomer. <laughs> <laughs> let's be dismissive and just say okay, boomer. All right, so we are going to take our first break, and then come on with our guest Ada Calhoun. We will be right back. Shall we introduce our guest? Yes, please. Great. New York City-based journalist Ada Calhoun is the author of three nonfiction books, The New York City History, St. Mark's is Dead, named a Best Book of the Year by the Boston Globe and Kirkus Reviews, the collection of marriage essays, Wedding Toasts I'll Never Give, named one of the top 10 memoirs of the year by W and the Generation X defining Why We Can't Sleep, Women's New Midlife Crisis, which is really why we are here today. And thank you, Ada, for coming on Done Being Single. Hello, Ada. Thanks for having me. Hello. Okay, so you've been listening in intently. And we hope. Yeah. And I love what you're saying. And I think it I, it really spoke to me, even though I'm in my 50s. And that's good. And I want to know I have a ton of questions, but you broke it down your um, the book into several different topic subject areas. And I'm just going to let's just kind of hit one at a time here and can we start with um hormones can we start with (laughs) sure can we start with that because i'm in it man and that's not something just end that ends at 49 it continues and it's not just Mm -hmm. her that's in it and it's not just women either i i really do believe men also experience hormonal changes as well it's i'm a passenger in this in this travel no with you no okay okay anyway ada (laughs) I mean, you uh-huh. are. You are. So why are you saying no, no? Because we're going through this together. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. Oh. But I'm but it's s- not as bad for you as it is for me. But okay. <laughs> Ada, let's talk about health. Let's just go right to it because I think that, especially for our audience, menopause is just a constant source of misery. Yes. And people don't talk about it, I think, nearly enough, considering how profoundly it affects women and, as you mentioned, their partners also. So only about 20% of women report not having symptoms at this time, and about 80% feel a significant effect from uh, the hormonal changes around menopause. And, of course, it begins often about 10 years before you actually stop having periods. And the changes can be weight gain, mood swings, sleep loss, stress. People report having panic attacks. There are are so many possible symptoms attached to that transition. And I think a lot of times women think, oh, it's just that I'm under a lot of pressure, which they probably are too. But typically hormones are playing a part, either small or big in, in that anxiety. And a lot of doctors don't recognize it because a lot of doctors are not trained specifically in menopause medicine. And how do you think that menopause and one's midlife crisis is connected? So the idea that you're going to be taking care of other people, whether it's ailing parents or small children or whatever else you have responsibility-wise while usually working full-time at a stressful job and going through perimenopause at the same time, that is, that's a lot. And that is new. I think, you know, past generations, it wasn't like it was easy dealing with all this hormonal stuff, but it was common for women in their 40s and 50s to be empty nesters or to be working at a job that was just nine to five. A lot of women who are now in their 40s and 50s, of course, are working jobs that are far more than nine to five. 
And because a lot of them waited to have families to marry and, and have children, they're typically dealing with early parenthood while all this other stuff is going on. So it's a lot. Women around the country are very tired and very stressed, and they're not getting a lot of support. I agree. I think, I know that our audience is, I would say, mostly 50, would you say 45 plus? Mm-hmm. And we are definitely tapped into this space. And I, I will agree with you that it is a highly underserved market. I think that the needs and issues that we have are just either ignored yeah. or dismissed. And it's unfortunate because... And I think especially for women, I think, you know, they're, like you were talking about earlier, there's been traditionally a lot of attention on men in midlife and on their frustration, their reckoning with mortality. Uh, and, and I think there's been an indulgence of men in midlife with the car and the girlfriend and the whole thing. Meanwhile, women, I think, are facing at least as much pressure and stress at this age. Uh, and yet their they're suffering tends to be much quieter. And so I think it's easy to not pay attention to. But as you mentioned, it's, it's important. It's really important that we talk about it. Well, I love the title of your book, Why We Can't Sleep, because I can't. Or I can, but then I can't, but then I, you know. You're a very light sleeper. I'm just, you know, my hormones are, um, I get night sweats. And it makes it hard to, as I'm talking to you, I'm thinking about 43, 42, 43, which were very big years for me. And sort of like an alarm clock went off. And then it was a race to slow my hormones down, which is interesting because, like I said, my midlife crisis manifested something entirely different than most people. Because by that age, you've had your kids and you're married and not me. So I sort of got a late start, but it was a race against time. And I think maybe you're talking a little bit about that as well, because you feel like in your 40s, you got to hurry up and achieve. Well, and I will say you're by no means alone in having waited and then getting to your 40s and thinking, oh, I need to get on this if I want to have a family. That is extremely common for this generation. And in fact, the age of first child has moved up several years in this generation. It used to be, I think in the seventies, it was like 21 or something that most, that the average woman had her first child. And now I think it's something like 27, 28, which is a huge difference. And there is a huge percentage that you see of women having babies in their late thirties to their late Mm forties. Yeah. I know I have a a few friends that waited or maybe they didn't, didn't, you know, didn't wait on purpose, but somehow life made them wait. And anyway, so you did so much research. I just have to commend you. Thank you. There's so much data and research, and you went so deep, and it's so thorough. How did you even get interested in this subject to begin with? It started with an article for Oprah.com. I had an editor call me a couple of years ago who, um, who just felt like there was something going on with women in midlife with this generation that might be different, might be new, not necessarily harder. It's not a competition, but, um, but that there were certain factors at work that were conspiring to make this generation just have a really rough go of midlife. And some of it is financial. It has to do with the changing job markets. It has to do with, again, the delay in having a family. And also it has to do with expectations. So a lot of us who are in our 40s, 50s now were raised with the beginning of Title IX and a new wave of feminism that really told us you can be anything. You can you can become president. And 
that was good in so many ways, but there is this downside that I kept hearing about from the women I interviewed, which was that they felt so much pressure that they felt like the idea that they could do anything meant they had to do everything. And one woman after another that I talked to felt disappointed in herself for not having done more. And these are women who are highly educated, women who've worked extremely hard. Many of them have powerful jobs, but they felt somehow like what they were doing wasn't enough. And I argue that that has something to do with how we grew up. I'm just curious, in your interviews, what was the youngest and then who was the oldest? I talked to about 200 women and they were born between the 19, mid-1960s, early 1980s. That was the range I sort of I was doing because then that means they're all pretty squarely in middle age now. The ones on the, the older side, the closer to the boomers, if not boomers, where are they technically? I mean, I'm born in 63. Yes, I'm the first boomer, correct? Is that? So there are so many different age ranges given for the generations. I went generally with Pew Research Centers, which, and they say it's generally considered 1965 to 1980 are the years for Generation X. But a lot of younger boomers like you and older millennials also have said they're related to pretty much everything that's in the book. Okay. I have a question, and that is the spouse or partner of somebody going through this. What tips do you have for them? Well, I have been really, really happy to learn that a lot of women who've read the book and related to it gave it to their partners and said, please read this, and that the partners read it and felt more empathy for for the women in their lives. And we were able to see a little more how certain things that have been annoying to them or frustrating to them, whether it was hormonal fluctuations or a perfectionism or an irritation with things not being good enough, that, that they developed compassion mm-hmm. for them and were able to see that they should really support them more. Yeah, I find that that is true. I, I've had to dig deep and find more patience than I might normally have had in just observing and not jumping on things and letting Treva go through whatever she's going through. And she has had some questions about the type of hormones she's taking and how it's administered and the gel and whether it's satisfactory well, and if she should not, be yeah. doing it at all and then going off it and then getting back on it. It's hard to gauge the differences necessarily. I battle between, um, you know, wanting to do the best thing for my body and Sometimes when you're not on it, I've been on it and off hormone therapy. Before I went on, I was exhausted all the time. I went off, I'm still off right now, taking a little break. I may go back on because circumstances are draining me. Mm-hmm. I was joking about it in the opening segment about the hump, the second hump. This feels like another midlife crisis I'm having. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is hard and I think The hormones is one piece of it, but I think we all need to find support wherever we can get it. And so sometimes it's through some kind of medication. Sometimes it's through uh, finding a support system in our community. Sometimes it's it's having a partner step in and take over responsibilities. It's it's um, it can come in a lot of different forms, but I think we have to be honest about what we need and, and that we do need help at this age. Okay, well, I'm going to be honest about what we need and we need to go to a break. So we will do that, and we'll be right back with more from Ada Calhoun. Okay, so I I jumped ahead a little bit to health and menopause, because the title of your book just, like I said, really hit me, Why We Can't Sleep. But let's go back, let's like kind of go from to the beginning with childhood and adolescence and how the stuff that we're now experiencing in an unpleasant way kind of gets in our head or it gets hardwired into us when we're kids 
and you, you sort of touched on it about the expectations. I can tell you what my parents were like and, and my friend's parents, boomer parents. They're parents of boomers. That's what I'm trying to say. I think we got taught a different lesson than Generation X kids. Would you mm -hmm. say that's correct? I think so. Yeah. And, and so one of my good friends who is a boomer, she told me that when she was coming up in the workplace, that the expectations for women were so low that whenever she achieved something and she achieved greatly and she became an editor at a top magazine and um, and she was ruling over a very large group of people, people couldn't believe it. Like they were like, look at you. It's amazing. And she was so proud and happy that she had achieved so much with so little encouragement. And she said then she looks at her, the young women, her daughters, and then other young women she works with, and she sees them never satisfied. And she thinks it might have something to do with the fact that growing up, they did have so much encouragement in the sense that they were told that the world was their oyster. And they internalized that in this way that they felt like nothing they ever did was enough. So she sees young women who were doing even more than she did. And yet, they are constantly stressed out and constantly feeling like it's it's not good enough. Do you look at your friends born in the same this same generation? And you, do you can you make comparisons? Can you sort of connect the dots? Can you see what kind of parents that you guys all had? Because I can yes. sort of see what kind of parents we all had and the lessons that they taught us. Right. I think there was a similarity amongst our parents, my friends' parents, and my parents, but incredibly different as well because they did go through some things that I was aware of where my parents did not. So I, I feel very blessed to have had the, the folks I did grow up with. I do think, Ada, you're right about expectations and how they change from generation to generation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, it's funny because um, one woman in the book told me, too, that, that when her mother comes to play with the grandkids, that she says to her daughter, you know, why do you play with them? We never played with you. I think there is this, there's been this shift toward much more detailed involvement in children's lives. So Gen X parents get accused often of helicoptering. And I do think that that is maybe a pendulum swing away from how parents were in the 70s and 80s, which was much more hands-off. And, and I think people can debate all day which is, which is better, and probably it's a middle ground between the two. But, but I, see, I see that swing happening in yeah, the, the I do too. women I interviewed. Mm -hmm. I do too. I think there's, there's a pendulum to life in all aspects of it. But I do think that, and I'm, I'm going to move ahead a little bit to the times we're living in because they're so different. Did you grow up with cell phones? Did you have a cell phone when you were, is that, Ada, are you? Yeah, that makes a big difference. And, and no, Gen X is the first generation that, or rather the last generation that wasn't plugged into a computer from birth. So, you know, I didn't get my first email address until college. And even then I remember it being this thing where like, oh, do we really need these? It, it didn't feel significant um, at the time, but of course it was a huge sea change. So getting back to how we were parented, okay? I had very little expectations put upon me, very little pressure. Or let's just say, and you know, my parents were very different people, but they kind of were old school and, and they probably just wanted me to get married. Mm -hmm. And I didn't follow. And then we're miserable when and you then, did. Right, and then I didn't exactly follow their path or their timing. But I think that's what most boomer parents of boomers wanted for their children. 
just to yeah. get married, have kids, same for their sons. And now we've got this whole other air, this layer of pressure on us because of social media and technology. Honey, I think I remember you telling me you were not honest with your folks about wanting to have a, a child on your own. Yeah. And why was that? Because they would have been completely just, dis- they were completely disapproving. Because they are, they are of a generation that felt that you can't do it on your own. You are crazy and you are selfish. That's what I heard. They were completely unsupportive. Mm-hmm. But they didn't know better. They knew what they knew. Right. Anyway, look, I get it. They did the best they could. They didn't understand. Correct? Uh, yeah, yeah, I think that, I mean, one thing that is different in what Gen X heard, I think, is that you can have it all, right? We were told, like, you, you should do it all. You can do it all. It's going to be effortless and easy and glorious for you. But we weren't given support in making those things happen. So there's a big difference between saying you should be a doctor and paying for medical school and having weekly study sessions and all this stuff and saying you should be a doctor and having a 40% divorce rate and very little support financially, which is what a lot of Gen X women especially report having happened to them. I think there's tremendous, way more uh, pressure on Gen X than previous generations. Is it just me? I just feel like we're living in such a overachievement. You gotta be super fit and super cool and super trendy and you gotta have the latest and the greatest. You gotta, it's Gwyneth Paltrow and it's Instagram and yeah, is it I do me? Think I mean, media I don't know. Plays a big, I think social media plays a big part and I think you're right. I think you look around online and it looks like everyone has it figured out. It looks like everybody is happy and well-rested and taking amazing vacations and their kids are all Olympic gymnasts and it's all going great for them. And then easy, I think, to do what one therapist described as comparing your insides to other people's outsides. And I, I think that can be very destructive. It can make people feel a lot of shame for things they shouldn't feel ashamed about. Well, you know, in reading some of the things that uh, you've been talking about, the caregiving rack I'm seeing about we actually have it easy because we don't have kids and our caregiving is focused on our parents, not on kids and parents, which many of our good friends have mm-hmm. multiple kids. They also have parents that they're dealing with. So they're really being torn in more directions than you and I are with just our aging parents. That can so, be plenty hard though. It, I think if it, you it is because you, that's our focus depends on the parents, but uh, it can be really rough. But imagine throwing some adolescent kids in that mix as well and needing to care for them, or even if they're in their 20s and trying to find out who they are, that has to put an additional burden, I would think, on the couple. It does. And, you know, caregiving still mostly falls to women around the country. A lot of men do it too, more and more. But traditionally, the average caregiver in this country is a woman in her late 40s who also works full time. And that is a really tough position to be in, especially if you also have your own children. But either way, if you're trying to get ahead at work and you're being told lean in and you have these other people, however many there are, who depend on you for support, it can be so isolating and so rough on those women. And and I think, again, their needs and their concerns have been dismissed so much by the culture as like first world problems and things like this. And no, it's quite a hard time of life for a lot of people out there. How about the men? Did you get any feedback? From men on From caregiving? Men. Yeah, let's just, yeah. Yeah. Let's so, I mean, what's interesting to me is that 
that men do more now than they ever have. So men in Generation X and younger boomers, they change diapers, right? Their fathers probably did not do that. They probably didn't wake up in the middle of the night with the baby. They probably didn't go help the sick sister-in-law at the hospital. And men are doing that more and more and more. And in fact, I've seen some numbers that say millennials are roughly 50-50 now with a lot of the caregiving. So that is, I think, great progress. But they also think they do more than they do. So you see a lot of studies out there about time use and looking at what people report versus what is actually observed. And a lot of men tend to feel like they're doing at least half. And then you look at the numbers and they're doing maybe a quarter. And so one thing that I've heard from a lot of women is that on one hand, they're so grateful that their partners are doing more than their fathers did. And yet they also feel like they have to say, good job. Thank you so much. And, and praise them when they're still not getting half of the work done. Okay. So saying that, how bad does resentment play into this? Or how much does resentment I heard a lot about that. More women that I care to report told me when I interviewed them something to the effect of, what is he here for? Here I am, I'm making half or more of the money. I'm doing most of the childcare, most of the household work. And why do I have him? And um, which is, of course, very sad. But I think when you're that overwhelmed and resources feel that limited, it's maybe inevitable that you're going to turn to the person next to you and be very angry. How do you approach that subject then with your partner to let them know that you are a little frustrated and you don't want to resent them and you want to keep a happy house. Yeah. Well, actually I interviewed this guy, William Doherty, who you all probably know, who runs the marriage, I think it's called the marriage lab. It's out on the West coast. And he's written a lot of books about how people stay married and he's a lovely guy. And he said that what he sees very often is women hold resentment in so much and then they wind up springing a divorce on their husband. And that often, he said, toward the end, they're nicer to their husbands because they feel like in their heart they've already kind of checked out. Mm-hmm. Um, so men are typically blindsided. He said that's an extremely common pattern that he sees. And so his advice is basically before you get to that stage to, to say something like, I'm scared we won't be together in 10 years. <laughs> or to say here's what I'm experiencing and it scares me and to open up the conversation in that way rather than accusing them of not doing. I agree. I think that would be a very beneficial thing to do because you, you need to make your partner aware of what your feelings are. And if there is any uh, inadequacies that you're feeling, be honest about it without accusing them and without judging. And hopefully you can discuss it and patience and correct it. And maybe the person was just not aware of it and mm-hmm. they need yes. to be Compassion, aware of Compassion, patience, Very important. forgiveness. Yeah, Doherty said, like, get his attention and get his attention without shutting the conversation down. So something like, this is what I'm seeing. This is what I think is going to happen. Here's how I feel about it. And making it clear that this is really urgent. Because I, I do think that also women tend to want to just manage it, manage it, manage it. And there's only so long you can hold these things in before they blow up. Right. True at any age. (laughs) Indeed. Right. So we are going to go to our third break and come back with one more segment with Ada Calhoun. I had a question that I, before we went to break about the male midlife crisis Mm -hmm. and how the, the people that you spoke to your interviewees and how they described their husband's or their partners going through their, the male version 
And is it cliche to say that this is the time to get by a fast car and have an affair? Is it still happening? I guess it could happen at any age, right? From what I've heard, men do tend to act out when they go through a midlife crisis more than women do. So one shrink after another told me that that women, when they go through this panic at midlife, that they tend to be very quiet about it. So often it involves waking up in the middle of the night and staring at the ceiling and replaying all their life choices or finding a moment at work to like cry in a closet. Or one woman talked about going to the movies alone in the middle of the day and getting a babysitter for her daughter. What I heard was that women didn't want to inconvenience anyone with their feelings or with their their tumult. And so they, they dealt with it in very small quiet ways maybe actually reported smoking again for the first time since they were Mm -hmm. teenagers Mm -hmm. but sneaking a cigarette out the window while they're doing laundry for example and and men do still tend to have the affair blow it up yes okay so let's talk about since we're towards the end of this of our interview here with you and i like to always end things on a high note if we can let's talk about how to survive a midlife crisis and and again, I extend this to the 40, 40s up through 50, late 50s. I'm going to, right? Would you say that's yeah. kind of a good range? For sure. Because everybody's sort of having little crises along the way in, in during this time. I mean, I am, and I know that it's, here, here's what I will say about having a crisis. It does tend to, for better or for worse, make you look at your own stuff. It makes mm-hmm. you stop and reflect and get very, it can be a moment of really great positive enlightenment and illumination. Yes. Yeah, it definitely can. And I think especially if you're willing to look not only at your own, your own things, but also at the context around you. So that is one thing that I hope to do in the book is to show women the context around them, the lack of support, the bad financial luck, the really crummy job market that is extremely ageist right. and sexist to this right. day. Right, we didn't even and, get to that, yes. Yeah, but I think to remove some of the shame and guilt that women of this generation tend to have about what they haven't achieved, I think it's really important to look at how the deck was stacked against us in a lot of ways. And if we didn't achieve every single thing, if we didn't have all the kids we had planned to have, we didn't get all the fancy jobs we thought we'd get, there are forces that work greater than us it's not just that we didn't work hard enough right you know or that or that we we didn't play the hand words out well enough I think I think it's it's important so as far as what we can do I think the first thing is looking at the expectations we had and whether or not they are realistic mm-hmm. uh, and, and critiquing our own sense of shame or failure based on that I think getting a support system and that means partners maybe hormones definitely better doctors uh, around us therapy, not a bad bad call for most women Mm -hmm. at this age. Mm -hmm. And then also looking just at at this as a set period of time. So you were talking earlier about the U curve and all that. And from what I've heard from women, friends of mine who are in their 60s and 70s, there is a piece that comes after menopause very often. And I am hoping they are right. I think I think so. Although, gosh, there's so many women I know that still to this day tell me that they get they're and they're in their 60s and 70s. My stepmother still in her 70s gets hot flashes, which I don't know. Maybe that's good. God bless you. You know, maybe she's like still. You know, it's working. It's working down mm-hmm. there. Okay, this is good because I I think people need to feel that they're women in particular, but men too need to feel that they're not alone. 
Yes. I think that's one of the most important things at this age too, is just um, to surround yourself with other people who speak honestly about their lives and will listen to you speak honestly about yours. I think there's a lot of loneliness out there, especially because of social media and people lying about what they're going through and, and making it seem like they have it all figured out. And we need to surround ourselves with people who will tell the truth. Are there some red flags that we should see on social media from people that are going through this and may not be aware they're going through it, but they are acting out things that I don't. I don't know. I think I'm a bad reader of social media because I just feel like I see, I see everybody filtered, and I even though I know intellectually they're all filtering, I don't know. I always think, oh yeah, they really are that wrinkle-free. I think, I think when you start hearing women talk about how they're extremely lucky and how they have no right to complain, for me that's a red flag now because almost everyone I inter- interviewed told me that that she had no right to complain, and then she would tell me about things that she was dealing with. And I would think, oh, yes, you do. I'm curious, did your research include, did you do like a separate section for single people? Well, I tried to talk to a really wide and diverse group of women around the country. A lot of them were single. A lot of them did not have children. So yeah, I, I, then there's a chapter specifically about those conditions and, you know, p- women who didn't want a family, didn't want kids and and are happy with that and then other women who very much did and are grappling now with with not having gotten what they had had thought they wanted yeah i would think that the midlife crisis for a single person might be different than for a married or partnered person but who knows the same probably you know that feeling of like is this all there is there there are similarities and differences i think and I, i do think that we've been pitted against one another by the culture, there's all this talk of like the mommy wars, like, are you going to work or are you going to have family? And of course, most women in this generation in the middle class do not have a choice. So it's not as if most women are staying home with, with kids because they can't afford to, even if they wanted to. But also it's, you know, we all are doing what we can with the resources available to us. And the implication that, that we're t- totally different group or a totally different class of woman, depending on whether or not we have children, I think it's I think it's silly and divisive. You are correct, and thank you for saying it, because I think women are particularly, in this day and age, really hard on themselves. Yeah, and on one but... another often, which which we don't need, because we need, we need one another. That's right. We just did a, a, an episode, we recorded an episode on the inner bully. Uh-huh. And, man, there's so much, like takeaways from that that apply to this and this to that sure. because yeah, that's that's where that. this can go to a very dark and self-loathing place it's really but, but we're going to end on a high note we're not going to talk about that no but <laughs> please let us know uh, and our listeners where they can find you yeah, i'm on book tour right now so they can go to adacalhoun.com and learn more about the book and where i'm going to be great Excellent. ada thank you for taking the time i know you're super busy and super popular right now and everybody wants you <laughs> it's a great place to be. So, and also, I just want to thank you again publicly for being so patient because we've had some issues as we've been talking about. And you've been, you've been awesome Aww. and understanding. Well, I have a lot of compassion for what y'all are dealing with. It's, um, you know, I, I know it well for my own life. Thank so, you. We, we feel yeah. it. We feel it. And thank you for your, just for being a cool chick too. Aww, and super interesting. And congratulations show. on the book. And everybody go buy it. Because it's it's great stuff and it'll make you feel so much better about life and and the and the future. And as someone who is in her fifties, I just want to say this one last thing. Ada, you're correct. It does get better. It really does. So hang in Good. there and breathe. <laughs> we'll see. Uh, Thanks for having me on. Thank you for being here.
You can find us yep. at dunbeansingle.com. You can follow us at, at dunbeansingle. What else? You can write us. You can write us. Tell us how much you love us or Ask not. Ask us questions. We uh, love questions. Yeah, yeah, definitely send us your questions, your problems, issues. your issues, your dilemmas. And you can find me at trevabrandonscharf.com. You can also write us and tell us about your tales from dating hell. We love tales from dating hell. We do love that. So, okay. This has been great. Everybody have a great week. And we'll be back next week with a new show. Bye. Bye. I'm Shadow Stevens with my friends Trevor and Robbie. See you next week on Done Being Single.